Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. Episode 151. We, uh, the Metal Exchange goes gothic this week as we cover Type O Negative's 1996 release, October Rust. But before we get there, how are you, my friend? 151 reminds me of some uh, poor decisions made in college involving Bacardi. So, uh... well fitting because I think that this album um, is one of the bleakest things that we've covered for for various reasons, but certainly certainly different from everything else we've done in many ways. So, I, I'm looking forward to this a lot. I hope it wasn't too rough of a week for you. Um, but before we get there, did anything that you listened to that kind of jump out at you? I know that uh, you know we talked offline about some stuff and uh, some exciting times ahead for sure. Yeah, um, I was happy to hear that uh, Voyager is releasing a full-length album, which is kind of a long time coming. Their last one came out in 2019, Colors in the Sun. I think we've actually talked about this not too long ago that um, – They've been re- releasing a lot of singles, but um, there hasn't been a full-length album, and it looks like that is going to come to fruition. Uh, the album is going to be called Fearless in Love, and uh, I'm going to quickly just look up the exact date that it comes out so that I can do do it justice. Uh, but um, they released a, a new single uh, just this week uh, in advance of this album called Prince of Fire. And I have to say... Um, Album comes out July 14th, uh, so it'll be here before you know it. Um, Voyager has really just mastered the art of a high production values. Like, I'm just, I'm listening to this new song right now, and it sounds so clear and so crisp, and every instrument just shines through. It's, they're just a very technically impressive band, and, um, some of the other singles that they've released over the course of the last year or two, uh, Dreamer, Submarine, and Promise are all going to be on this album as well. So four of the uh, four of the tracks, I believe there will be um, 11 tracks. So four of the 11 tracks are already available f- to listen to. And then there's also um, a couple of singles that they released uh cover songs of this boys in love and break a broken heart, which are not going to be on the album, but you can get, grab those from iTunes or Spotify or whatever. But um, I have a feeling that this is going to, this band's going to, if they haven't already, they're going to break through uh, much the same way that, you know, sleep token has recently, um, you know, I heard their last show was a real gap, but um, I, I just, I don't know. Like I've always, had a I've always had a feeling about these about these guys and gal and uh, it looks like they're finally getting the the attention they deserve. I I think that being on Eurovision now for I guess the second time has really kind of catapulted yep. them in many ways. Um and, and and they've always been a band that's accessible, just not well known, but I think that now that they were you know with COVID in the rearview mirror and them hitting the the ground with the European tour and the Eurovision thing. This might be the thing that really just kind of pushed them into the stratosphere, which they obviously deserve. Um, We had Danny on the show a number of months ago or probably over a year ago now. Um, Just really, really catchy stuff that anyone could listen to, whether they're a prog guy, a metal guy, or even just a guy fan of like 80s, you know, Depeche Mode, like a little something for everyone here. 
I thought you were going to say whether you're a power guy, a prog guy, or just a guy. Um, <laughs> that would that, that too. That too. Spoil, spoiler alert: This will not be the last time uh, Voyager is mentioned on this episode. I can assure you. Yes, um, I, I think that's. But uh, I, I have to say, like I was with you um, when they were announced for Prog Power the first time, and I remember how excited you were, and I wasn't familiar with them, and you were like, "Just wait." Um, and at the time. Uh, I believe they only had three albums. And then by the time they played live, the meaning of I was going to come out about a week after. I think I even played two songs from the album. And I remember they were, uh, they, they sold the album a little bit early at Prague power and they were also tossing copies of it into the crowd. <laughs> um, that also happened to be drummer Ashley dude courts, uh, second ever performance with the band and the band has stayed. The lineup has stayed the same since that, Right around that time, they played their first show in Brooklyn, which you were there for, and then uh, as as their current lineup, and they've been together ever since. It's a really just uh, you know well oiled machine at this point. Yeah, so. I think we're due to cover another one of their albums. It's been it's been a while, but um, I only put that out there because I feel like there's never a bad time for a Voyager album. But yeah, best of luck to them. I look forward to hearing the new album. Um, and, and speaking of things I'm looking forward to, a single dropped by a band called Sacred Outcry. And um, I, I have vocals to... Vocals sounded very familiar. The, the vocals sounded familiar, but quite frankly, the whole thing sounded oddly like a band we did a career retrospective on not so long ago. Um, Daniel Hyman sings on this track, and the this is about the closest thing I've heard to Lost Horizon in 20 years not just because of the vocals, but just because of the stylings of the music. Um, this has definite potential. And even though I've kind of moved away from power metal in many regards, uh, if they do it right, I still love it. And this was done right. And I kind of look forward to this album as being something that could be a real masterpiece. The single that came out was called, ironically enough, The Voyage. Uh, you, you would think there's a common theme here, but no, I, I assure you that just happens to be the name of the song, The Voyage. And uh, it's taken from the album Towers of Gold, which comes out on May 19th. So we're getting real close to this thing being released. I am very excited. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Daniel Hyman on it, it makes it just a, a blind buy just from the get-go. Um, but uh, this single is definitely, like you said, like this is... It bodes well for the rest of the album if uh, if it sticks in this direction because this is this is awesome and I just it's like for me hearing Hyman is like when you hear Kiss like it's always just a joy no matter what it is if it's you know just regular old rock or metal or power metal or prog metal or whatever like it's it's always always a uh, always a joy to hear his vocals especially because you don't really get to hear them that often so this is uh this is going to be cool i I am uh i'm excited for this and uh i look forward to the the uh release which is like you said only a couple weeks away you talk about a, a guy who could sing a phone book and i'd be interested in hearing it like this is he's one of those guys for sure so i have a feeling it'll be better than a phone book so we got that going for us um and this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. The other album I wanted to mention was a band that's getting quite a bit of like, I've seen it in a number of places. And and I guess by that, I mean, it's like an underground band that nobody really talks about. But this particular release seems to be picking up some steam. The name of the album is called Dreams of Lands Unseen. The band is called Ignea and they're from Ukraine and they have, um, you know, a, a female vocalist and it's very much in the vein of almost like an amorphous type of sound with some like Eastern European flair to it, almost like a, a Mirath with the, with the Tunisian flavor to it. But this is more of a, you know, a, 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 an Eastern European sound. An interesting album. I have to give it some more time. I definitely, definitely liked it after the first listen. I will absolutely post a track or two this week from the album just because I think it's worth listening to. Um, I, I don't know that anything jumped out at me in particular. I just thought the album was a good listen. Yeah, I snagged the uh, one of the singles uh, called Opiumist um, uh, on your recommendation, and I liked it a lot. It's going to be on uh, one of my upcoming playlists so along with the sacred outcry song as well and the new voyager single uh so pretty much everything we've talked about so far will be represented um but yeah this is this is, sounds really cool i um it's it's got a lot of different elements like you said there's symphonic there's progressive there's folk there's uh you know middle eastern it's really interesting stuff so um yeah i, I i'd be curious to hear the rest of the album but uh, the one song that i did listen to was quite good Nice. Um, and then we get to uh, the business at hand, if you will. Typo Negative's October Rust album, which came out August 20th, 1996. So we're almost 30 years to the day, which just is crazy to say, but we're almost 30 years um, to the, you know, to, to from when this album was released. Uh, before we get into the band and, and, and some of the details, I have to think this was probably one of, if not your first exposure to the band like i i I can't imagine you just sitting there listening to this without me forcing you to (laughs) i i like did not realize like what uh, this is going to (laughs) be interesting how to verbalize um i always assumed that that typo negative sounded completely different than what they ended up sounding like and it was really just a preconceived notion based on absolutely nothing. Like literally just basing it off the name of the band. Well, what I did just you think assumed, they sounded like? I thought that they were like a much heavier. Like death like, metal type of thing? Not death metal. I didn't think they were death metal, but I just thought they were just like like really heavy, heavy, heavy metal. And, and um, this was not at all what I was expecting, <laughs> but um, I actually kind of liked it. I'm going to be honest with you. Like it, grew on me and the it's there was the things that it reminded me of were all over the place but um i the only song that i really had by them was a song that um was on one of uh, one of the playlists that you made uh a while ago let's see how long ago that playlist was from that was from 2013 wow uh your december 2013 playlist um I don't know if you remember what song it was. Maybe we'll we'll see if you can remember. But oh, um, I have no recollection whatsoever. Okay, cool. So, well, I'll bring it up when we get to it. But um, I, I 
was really surprised. It was like, I would like, even just from the very beginning, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, uh, this is, this is interesting. I, I always wondered why, um, why bands held this, this band in such high regard. And, uh, now I kind of understand it. Yeah. It's, well, it's, tell it's... me about, tell me about your like history of, of, of knowing them and where you first heard them. And I'm curious to know. Okay, well, it's funny that you mention it. I actually remember the first day that I heard them, but it's for reasons that you wouldn't otherwise expect. I'll kind of paint the picture. Um, it was September 1st, 1999. And the only reason that sticks out was because I went to go see a Megadeth concert and they were playing the Roseland Ballroom. And shout out to Mike. I dragged him to go see Megadeth. Not I didn't drag him to go see Megadeth, but he went with me to go see Megadeth in New York City. And unbeknownst to me, and this is like kind of the formative days of the internet. So getting news was a little bit, you know, fewer and further between, I guess, at this point. So when we go see them, it turns out that this was like a bit of a festival, in, if, if you will, in the sense that it was a benefit show for a, an organization called the Concrete Foundation. And other bands were playing with Megadeth that night. Um, I forget exactly who they were i can easily look them up but i do vividly remember the band that went on directly before megadeth back in 1999 and it was typo negative so my first exposure to the band my only exposure to the band for many years was at a live show actually seeing them in concert and i think my palate was a little more um limited back then so i didn't it's not that I didn't like it. I just didn't know what I was listening to. And I just didn't appreciate it as much as I think I probably could have or should have because they actually played a few songs from this album. So that was my first exposure to some of this stuff. But I just, I, you know, I, I at the time, I didn't listen to harsh vocals. I didn't listen to vocals that were, you know, Peter Steele. I, I just, it was, it was just not in my wheelhouse at the time. Where in retrospect, I think if I would have gone to see them 10 years later, I think I would have been really into it because I could have seen myself really enjoying it. But at the time, it was just kind of, you know, let's let's get on and, and, and let's get Megadeth on stage. And then ultimately after Megadeth would, would go off the stage, Bruce Dickinson would join Megadeth on stage for and with Tony Iommi for some Black Sabbath hits. So it was a wild night and a night I'll never forget. Um, but to make a very long story short, that's how I first heard the band live opening for Megadeth. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at the set list and four of the six songs they played were from this album, October Rust. And yep. one of the six was a cover of the Beatles back in the USSR of, of all of all things. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, would you be, would you like to know the other three bands that played that night? One of them was Puya. Is that if memory serves? Yep. And uh, along with DDT, uh, Jake, the snake Roberts favorite band <laughs> and uh, full devil jacket. <laughs> well, I think I went in late because the only thing I remember is, I, and I think I did that on purpose because I just had no interest in the other bands. I think I actually wound up walking in, but I, I did catch all of typo set. So it was, it was interesting to say the least. It was a, it was a good night. That's cool. I mean, especially now knowing that, um, you know, Peter Steele's no longer with us. That's pretty awesome that you, uh, that got to see them while they were still, still around. So, um, very nice. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's fair to say that most people would agree this was their, I don't want to say their best album, but arguably their best album at the very least. And, you know, even in their live sets, you know, before Peter Steele passed, they would always play 
songs from this album, usually more songs from this album than any other. So, um, that being said, I just think it was, it's, it, it's, it's, I wanted to pay a tribute. I wanted to listen to it in its entirety because it's something I've done from time to time, but I hadn't done a deep dive into it in some time. And I was really curious about your thoughts because I understand why you thought what they weren't. I understand the, the kind of the allure of the band thinking that it was heavier than they were. But at the same time, you know, it's funny because when I listen to this, I'd argue they aren't even a metal band. I would argue that they're kind of like an, a, a, either a bizarre alt-rock band or kind of like a goth rock band, but they're not really a metal band. Um, and that's despite Peter Steele's um, upbringing, if you will, where he cut his teeth in Carnivore, which was a thrash band. But this is not really, um, not really that. And in many ways, you can kind of see why they had at least some mainstream appeal because there's a lot of elements of like the 80s electronic stuff and, you know, bands like Depeche Mode, who I mentioned earlier, it's they, they draw upon a lot of influences, but it's not completely inaccessible to the masses. I could, couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, that was very well done. Thank um, you. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Like, um, I, it was really interesting to just kind of delve into this and just like, Again, this happens a lot to me with this podcast where I'm like 25 years late on something, <laughs> if not uh, much longer uh, in the, you know, in the case of some other things we've talked about. Um, but, you know, much like um, when we talked about, uh, you know, Fear Factory and some of, just some of these more uh, mainstream type of bands, mainstream metal bands from the 90s that just went right over my head. Uh, this was again, another one of them. And, and now that like, you know, now that I've listened to it, it's like clear to me that um, this band influenced a lot of bands that we listened to. And, and like I mentioned earlier about, you know, that we were going to mention Voyager again, especially early Voyager that just the, I think that the, um, the pianos and the keyboards on this album really make me think of, of that Voyager had some influence or, or that this pulled some influence to, to Voyager's early sound because um, there's definitely some similarities there, but uh, it really is this interesting marriage of like this, this really gothy um, down, down tuned guitars, but with like these eighties new wave style piano and keyboard sounds. And then like these really unique vocals. It's a really, really unique overall sound that I didn't think I was going to like based on the first listen. And I ended up enjoying it quite a bit, actually. And, and let's not forget, you brought up Voyager. They actually had a song on the meaning of I called Iron Dream, which was a Peter Steele tribute. So I don't think it's any surprise that Voyager is really just like a happier version, if typo negative, at least in those early days. Now they've kind of evolved in many ways, but definitely early on, they were hugely influenced by, by Voyager. I'm sorry, by, by typo. And I, I think that, I think Danny Eshin would be the first one to admit that, that his early sound, I mean, he was just a huge fan of this band and it, and it translated both on his keyboard or his guitar and, and a lot of the, even the riffs in many ways that, that drew influence from this stuff. Uh, I, I actually did a little bit of uh, probably more research on this than I would typically do because I was really interested in 
the history of the band, where this album kind of fits in the whole, uh, you know, big picture, um, what some of the songs, uh, you know, the meaning of some of these songs, because like the lyrics are very interesting as we move, make our way through. But, um, uh, you know, I, I read that this is considered their least doomy album with the most, most ballads and, um, maybe the most melodic or progressive of their albums. And that I can't speak to, but um, I, I, there's definitely a, a prog element that's underlaying throughout this entire uh, proceeding. In my opinion, it, it's they're really, like I said, just it seems like there's a lot of different, uh, different influences all kind of coming together to make this really unique type of sound. And going forward, and you alluded to this earlier, I think that if you, Let's. I'll say it this way. I'm going to draw a lot of comparisons to bands that would come later in on many of these songs and before, but or contemporaries, if you will. But there's a lot of things that I'm going to reference that, to me, this was like, oh my gosh, I've heard this before, or I've heard this later on by somebody else because there was clearly influences drawn. And I'm curious to see if those sounds that I picked up from other bands, which I will mention if you heard the same thing or if you heard different things, because I, I have a feeling that if it's something that we both heard, there's probably a really, really good reason for that. Sure. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. Um, and so to that point, because it was really like, unlike anything we've covered, I, I think it, I thought it would make for an, an interesting, ch- an interesting chat. Um, that being said, I do have one, large complaint which i'll make but i i i I don't think that i I don't think it's best fit here i'll save it for for the right time um but before we get into the you know the the album itself peter Steele obviously on lead vocals he also was the bass player on this which i think is a big part of their sound for for many reasons kenny hickey on backing vocals and guitars josh silver also doing all those keyboard and synthesizer and program sounds which is a real big piece of this as well. And Johnny Kelly, who gets um, credited with the drums, which were really programmed on this album, but he is their full-time drummer going forward. Um, But we have a little bit of a shadow gallery situation here where, uh, you know, Ben Timely is the drummer on this thing. (laughs) Uh, I didn't think we were going to have him on the podcast again, but sure enough, he's back. back, Yeah. uh, You know, I guess uh, the timing was right. I don't know. Something stupid. Um, (laughs) Third stupid comment here. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, anyway, so the other thing I'll say about this, a very meaty album. This album clocks in at 72 minutes. So uh, this is not something yeah, that and you... there's, there's some pretty long tunes on here. Too. Oh, yeah. And it's it's just and the way it's constructed is fascinating. I mean, the, the, the album starts out with a track called Bad Ground which is actually a pretty funny name given what the track is because it's basically a wire that sounds like it's not connected uh, to the board and it just has that buzzing sound for 38 seconds. It's unlike anything I've ever heard to start an album. Uh, you know, speaking of our friend Mike, who you just mentioned, uh, he loves a good you know, good prank video on Instagram. And uh, this is pretty much what that is because it's 38 seconds of nonsense followed by the band laughing at you. Right, that in track number two, although it has 
no title. It's literally the band sending their regards. And it almost reminded me of like a promo CD where it's like, ah, we haven't started yet, but you know, take a listen to what we got because the first real track here is love you to death, which is, which is the third track. And, um, a very long song in that it comes in at seven minutes, but, uh, one of their biggest songs in their catalog and a song that they would often, if not always play live. What did you think of this? Cause this was kind of like your first real exposure to them. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, this was the song that just stuck with me, uh, the most out of all of them. And it's going to be my song of the week right off the, right off the bat. Right um, out of the shoot. Yeah, right out of the shoot. I think I've only ever done this one other time or the first full length song. I guess it's technically not the first track because there's two tracks of goofiness to begin, but, uh, I just really, really like the song. And I thought the fact that it was like, you know, over seven minutes long was going to make, make it feel kind of long in the tooth, but, um, it's really, uh, I'm going to probably use the words hauntingly beautiful a lot during this uh, podcast. And, this is to me like really just a, a an unbel- like just such an unbelievable um, combination of things that I think really speaks to like at least to me what this band is all about. Um, it's kind of it's like what I'd call a dark ballad. <laughs> I guess would be kind of a, an interesting way of putting it because like. It's not like your typical power ballad love song type of thing that you get from like, you know, your eighties hair bands or your nineties power metal bands. Like this is it's it's a dark sounding song. Um it, interestingly enough, uh a, a description I've seen I saw online um said that it musically contains a mixture of Cocteau twins and the Beatles, uh on top on top with gothic sounds haunted piano and atmospheric sound effects that make them ooze the loss and lounge, which uh, I thought was interesting. And uh, to put it simply, the song is about psychotic love. (laughs) I mean, who can say it better than that? Uh, Let's, let's give it a listen. We'll come back and I'll share some, uh, some of my thoughts. Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time picking a minute from this, but uh, here it is. uh, Love you to death. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
So this is fascinating on a number of levels for me. Number one, you picked a song that was, like you said, it was over seven minutes long. It's the second single on the album, which I, I think is fitting. And I'll say this, it's it's it was a candidate for me as well. I think this is just an absolutely beautiful track. Um, what was kind of unique about it is that you could kind of tell, at least for the most part, which songs were like their biggest hits off the album because they were just a touch less dark than the others. There was almost like a shade of light in, in this gloomy darkness. So I, I this being one of them, um, dark and gothic, very, very prominent keyboards, but slightly more upbeat than the rest of it. And there's just an infectious melody. I hear a touch of Moonspell, the band on this, and uh, obviously the vocals remind me a touch of like a Glenn Danzig or something like that, just somehow deeper and darker. Um, this there, There's a part of me that feels like there's almost, and this is just, this just hit me. So I, I apologize for interrupting, but um, it's almost like this modern day Pink Floyd or not really too modern. It's almost 20 years ago, but at the time, like almost like a modern day Pink Floyd Um but then mixed with kind of like this Depeche Mode-y 80s new wave, there's just enough melody in there for it to not be like a complete downer. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's funny because you had mentioned kind of in, in the in the intro how there was like a like that Beatles sound or whatever. Well, they <laughs> I, I found this to be really interesting. They actually had the nickname the Drab Four instead of the Fab Four. And <laughs> I think it's fitting as well. This is a great track. I I, I can't say enough about it. Um, and a great way to start the album. And then it goes into this other, like, almost a song that almost has like a jazzy feel at first. And it's short-lived, but it's called Be My Druidus. It has this, like, groovy little bass solo that starts the song. And then the main riff is, like, really, really catchy. And so are the verses. Um, this song, maybe more than any other, screams Voyager to me. Like, I just hear so much Voyager in this track. Um, a knock, I guess, would be that the choruses uh, on this particular track are a bit repetitive, but they're not bad. And and there's, like, these haunting samples throughout that almost give it, like, a Twilight Zone feel. I love this song. I think it's a really good song and, and probably not talked about enough in the pantheon of, of, of their you know greatest hits or what have you. Yeah, it's it's an interesting song because again, I feel like it kind of starts out with um, this '80s Gary Newman esque kind of like new wavy, synthy kind of like intro, but then it, it goes into like this chorus that's just like really creepy and dark, <laughs> and then the fact that with the lyrics literally or I'd do anything to make you come. It's so freaking the way he sings. It is so creepy. Um, Like this, this song has restraining order written all over it, but um, (laughs) the, the way it was described uh, on this, this webpage I'm looking at made me laugh because it just says the song is about finding a perfect mate in the forest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what more could be said? I I just want to ask you one question and that's, did you find the vocals jarring because they're so, you know, they're so low or was it just like fitting because everything else is dreary and dark? I, I didn't, I 
didn't really think one way or the other about it. It fit the, like it fit the album. It fit the type of music. It, it, I feel like it really um, was like right for its time. 1996. It's like that Mortal Kombat movie soundtrack, which they believe they were on. Yeah. That kind of like, you know, synthy techno-y like Euro. This band has a very Euro style for a band that's not from Europe. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the little intro at the beginning where they're speaking is hilarious because like one or two of the guys clearly is from Brooklyn. Like (laughs) you couldn't mistake it for you know anything in the world that peter Steele sounds like um like he's like a, from germany <laughs> sometimes like in his in his singing it like it really has like a like a european kind of vibe to it um but uh i i thought that like it didn't take me out of it because i just felt like that's the kind of vocals something like this should should have right i i i, I agree it would be really weird if Michael Kisk was singing on top of these songs. <laughs> it would just not fit. Um, we get Darius, maybe. Yeah, Darius, maybe, but not not <laughs> not Michael Kisk. Um, we get to Green Man, and this song, I listened to it so many times because every time I listened to it, it reminded me of something. Not the acoustic guitar in the beginning, not the bass guitar in the beginning, not how it picks up. Um, but this was a song that, in many ways, surprised me that it wasn't like a bigger hit. Um, you know, and I, I use that term relatively, but it wasn't one of the singles. But every time I heard the bridge and the last couple of minutes of this song, I'm like, it reminds me of something. It reminds me of something. And eventually I put the pieces together, but it reminds me. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm the only person in the planet that's making this comparison. So I want to be clear, but it reminds me of Stranger by the Minute, which is a porcupine tree song off their stupid dream album which came out three years later and it almost makes me wonder almost or maybe it's not three years later but it was you know mid to late 90s i almost wonder if steven wilson was listening to this typo negative song and then just took the liberties of borrowing it thinking that nobody would put two and two together but it's like the same thing but then 17 or 27 years later, Justin I cracked the code on the case. That's right. Um, um, thoughts on yep. green man. I like this. I, 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 I probably should have mentioned that I did. I did like the, um, the previous song be my druidist. I don't think I ever actually said whether or not I like the song or not. I, it's, it was actually one of my, um, one of my favorite songs on the album, actually. Um, the, I, I thought that the, that like dark kind of chorus thing was a little bit, like overly creepy but the rest of the song was good and again like there's just enough of the melodies and hooks that that really keep me uh interested um green man also like has kind of like this uh, haunting piano kind of uh leading the way here um it's uh again like has a really um like that that real mid tempo eighties new wave kind of vibe, but like with these you know these grungy guitars over it it's such an interesting uh combo um it's such a and and what a cool story uh, as to what this song is about because if you listen to it, there's an intro part of the track where um you hear these sounds of a garbage man dumping garbage into a garbage truck. And this garbage truck was once driven by Peter Steele. 
Um, <laughs> and the the name of the song is because he would wear a green jumpsuit when he worked as a park maintenance man. Um, so like that at I mean, six this, foot eight, mind you. I mean, you want to yeah, talk about an intimidating presence in the park? Yeah, like take the garbage, please. Just leave me alone. Um, and the song is about um, his love of nature, uh, having four seasons as well as rebirth, renaissance, and spirits of the forest. So um, I thought that was really cool. Um, that, again, like I could tell just from my limited listening that a lot of these lyrics had some strong meaning, and that's why I, I kind of wanted to dig uh, dig into that a little bit more because I feel like sometimes we don't know we kind of don't delve too much into the lyrical content, but I feel like this album kind of um, deserves the, to, to have it discussed. So um, yeah, that's uh, kind of uh, my thoughts on that. But uh, another, another really kind of uh, cool, cool tune. Um, very, I don't know that I would call anything up until this point fast paced. I feel like everything <laughs> has pretty much been mid tempo at best um, at, at but, best uh, and i don't think we're i don't think we're getting into the galloping territory at any point there's no there's no, no metal exchange like gallop on this one this is a gallop free episode uh and, and red water christmas morning uh, no different but again we talk about kind of the influences here or certain things that jump out at you the way this song starts gives me a strong tool vibe who we also covered in the archives but i hear a bit of tool at the beginning kind of slow droning but with those keyboards that just add a lot of feeling to the track. Um, I have to admit, though, overall, this track was a bit of a miss for me. I thought it went on a little bit too long without anything kind of breaking it up. It was the first track on the album where I said, eh, not not my favorite. Um, but what was interesting, I thought, was that there were parts of this song that reminded me of Soundgarden as well. So here you have a track that you blend Tool and Soundgarden and you get Red Water. I, I don't know. Um just not really sure why it reminded me of Soundgarden. Maybe it was just the way the melody was constructed, but this track was a bit of a miss for me. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of dig this song. Actually, it's like I, I think it's the darkest of the first four songs, which I think that says something. And if you, if you kind of look at, at what the song was about, you can kind of understand why. Um, the song is about Pete Steele's father dying on Christmas morning, mm. uh, as well as three other of his family members since the previous Christmas. So um, the verse deals with the grief while the chorus deals with how to cope with the pain from the personal, from his personal standpoint. And the song was written to cope with his, his pain for the loss of his family members. Uh, and the red water uh, refers to red wine, which uh, Peter Steele was known for, um, I have read, there's another interesting thing I read that he actually had a uh, stage fright. And so he would drink red wine on stage to, to kind of keep his courage up. Calm which, the um, nerves, if you will. Yeah. Which he was in good company because I believe Ronnie James Dio also liked his, his red wine, uh, you know, at least before a show from what I was, uh, I've heard stories from Chris Jericho and others that, uh, it's always an honor to be bestowed a glass of red wine from the great Ronnie James Dio. You never say no. It's kind of like when Lemmy offers you a cigarette, even if you don't smoke, you just you smoke. take it. Yeah, exactly. Very, <laughs> very interesting. Um, but you, but you, you like this track, even though it was a little. Uh... Yeah, I think I liked it more than you did. Um, especially the way that they, um, they put in like these really, really dark. Uh, 
versions of like Carol of the Bells and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Like kind of, it's like it's like the anti-Siberian or yeah, it's like T- yeah, TSO goes goes sad or whatever, <laughs> sad TSO, uh, which I thought really added to the the whole experience of like what this song is about and what it represents. Um, I, I, it's I don't know that I. It's probably my I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it my least favorite of the first four songs. I think I like them all pretty equally with that first one really kind of being my favorite. But um, I I thought this was really interesting. And and again, like it's something that I'm that like, if you told like 15 years ago, me that I, this was something I would have enjoyed. I would have been like, that's crazy. But I guess, you know, your, your palate expands, I guess, as you get older. Cause I, I don't know. It's, it's dark and it's creepy and it's, sad and and it's it's haunting but uh i i like it <laughs> yeah listen I, I i i can appreciate that um i really enjoy the next track which was the first single from the album it's called my girlfriend's girlfriend ironically it's one of the shortest if not the shortest full-length track here so it makes for a good single um just really awesome keyboards uh really awesome drums for what they are you know being patched in and just a top-notch tune all around with like kind of an industrial feel and you can see why this song was so popular um really made i think in many ways by the just the commanding vocals of peter Steele on this particular song it's not my song of the week but it easily could have been just because it's it's probably the most accessible song on the album and one that i do enjoy also, go out of your way to look at to find a picture of these. The artwork for the single is brilliant. It's a uh, it's uh, Peter Steele and and two women. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a very cool looking uh, very cool looking cover art. But um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, it was interesting because I was like, why does this song remind me of the monkeys? I, I, I thought to myself, and sure enough, it, it turns out that. Um, the song was meant to have like 1960s style of, of psychedelic rock and, and features an organ. And I guess like our discussion about the Moog synthesizer back when we were talking <laughs> about the monkeys kind of reminded me of that just in a very, uh, a very small, like, uh, you know, side, side, sideway sort of way, like just, but there, it definitely gave off a sixties, sixties kind of uh rock vibe. And, um, I guess I wasn't crazy because that's kind of what I uh, what I read and and and, and uh, simply enough, it's not really that complicated. It's a song about uh, having a girlfriend that has a girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the title does give it away, and and this is one of those cases. Um, I, and I think another one would be a song called "Die with Me" because that's our next track, and quite frankly, it it certainly gives off that energy. What are your thoughts on this one? Because this is. Um, this is a little bit different than a lot of the tracks on here for various reasons, including the acoustic guitar, um, you know, the straight up ballad type nature that I think kind of resonates with some of this thing. What are your thoughts on Die With Me? Uh, an artist that we have not brought up yet, which I'm kind of surprised that we haven't, but this song reminded me of Devin Townsend. Um, completely agree. I literally yeah, have it in my notes. Definitely, I got a Devin Townsend vibe from this. Um, I would be very, very surprised if Devin Townsend didn't um, get some influence from Typo Negative because there is uh, 
some of that definitely in here. This is like another really, for me to say this is a dark song on a dark album, it's got to be pretty, pretty dark. And, and, uh, one of the, one of the, um, descriptions I saw as far as a genre was, uh, gothic pop for this band, which I thought was interesting. Um, but this song in particular, I think is one of the doomier songs on the uh on the album but definitely uh a devon vibe and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you thought the same i definitely thought the same i thought it jumped out at me um and it was real clear like this just screamed devon townsend but i gotta be honest when i first heard it i wasn't thrilled with this track but every time i listened to it i liked it more and more and by the end i think it might be my favorite track on the album and it's gonna be my song of the week for that reason i give it a this one gets two thumbs up after about eight listens. I this one grew on me a lot. So let's uh, let's 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 die together. Let's die with me and um, let's give it a listen. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in many ways, I think that they could have cut the album here and had like almost a perfect release. Um, not not perfect, but like a really good release. As I mentioned earlier, this is a really long album in many ways. And I don't want to say that it was hard to digest the whole thing at one time. But I found myself enjoying it more when I stopped the album after Die With Me did something else and then went back to it an hour later and picked up with burnt flowers fallen. Don't ask me why, but I felt it just easier to digest this in two pieces because the one or two times where I listened to it straight through by this point in the album, I had a hard time kind of keeping with it because of, I don't know, just maybe I, maybe I was in too good of a mood and it was depressing me. I don't know. Um, but 
this 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 is the, where the album kind of takes a little bit of a turn unless you just start here because i actually like the main riff on this song and it has this just cool ambiance um it just lasts too long and i thought that this particular track was really really repetitive albeit with great bass lines throughout and and i think the instrumental sections help a little bit but not enough that this this track was kind of a miss and especially missed when i listened to it in conjunction with everything else i liked it more when i kind of started the album here if that makes sense i uh, also felt that there was like a fatigue factor um towards the end again like you said it's a pretty it's a pretty beefy album and it is mostly i think a, a pretty it's got a pretty standard sound to it all the way through so like i could understand that after maybe 50 or 60 minutes you've kind of reached your you know you've had your fill of this type of music, but yet it continues on. Um, and then the fact that like, you know, one of the, or the last full length song is 10 minutes long. So like you, re- it really, I'll get there because yeah. to um, me, they should have just cut that out, cut that off the album completely. And this would be a much better album, but I'll, I'll get to that at the end. Yeah. Uh, well the song we were talking about now, I don't think you mentioned the name is called burnt flowers fallen. Um, I think that it's like a, it's like um, not quite as it's like this in the same similar style as some of the songs we've heard already, but just not quite as doesn't have as much of a punch. Right. And maybe it's just because they've already done it <laughs> in a slightly better version earlier on. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a solid tune, but um, I think I'm kind of in agreement with you that like you we're kind of reaching the, um, a little bit of the exhaust exhaustion point, I think um, depending on like, you know, what kind of mood you're in or what you're doing, or if you're taking a break. Um, interesting, uh, you know, lyrics again, the previous track die with me was about um, a long distance relationship and expressing a desire to die with your partner in order to be, with them because apparently that would be better than being (laughs) separated by distance. And then this song, uh, burnt flowers fallen is also, um, about a girlfriend. Um, in this case, it is uh, about Peter Steele's deranged girlfriend burning all of her flowers that he gave to her. So there you have it. I mean, mean, it feels like, it feels like every song really has some sort of personal touch to it. uh, Which I think adds to the allure or the, the, the connection that a lot of fans I'm sure have with the album, especially when they know what these songs are about. What, one of the most surprising things to me was track number 10 in praise of Bacchus. I was shocked to find out that this was the third single from the album. Like that just surprised me completely. At first, I thought this was going to be another miss when I first heard this track. But as the week went on, I found myself liking it more and more. Um, another song with a strong Soundgarden vibe. But I thought this one was better than the last one that I had mentioned. I thought the backing vocals actually provided a really nice touch. Um, and, and it has a bit of an epic feel to it. And it just grew on me more than some of the other, more than some of the other tracks. I thought the production was a touch muddy on this track, but it still didn't bother me or, or take away from my enjoyment by the end of the week. I think that was the point. 
because it, it really feels like a sludgy, doomy, like kind yeah. of like, you know, um, just, just that kind of like song. It, it's, uh, again, like it, I, I thought it was a solid tune, but, um, it, it doesn't reach the heights of, of everything that we, we received up until, um, die with me. Um, and again, I, I think it's a, a, a little bit of a, a combination of like fatigue factor, but also maybe the, it's just uh, not quite as memorable as some of those earlier tracks. And uh, again, uh, keeping up with the uh, positive girlfriend vibes. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, this is a song um, reflecting on uh, uh, Peter Steele, reflecting on his girlfriend, hating him so much that she wanted him to be burned. Um, <laughs> what else can so. what else can you say? And, and and as you sit back and listen to this thing, as we get towards the back end of the album, you know, I, I was saying to myself, the one thing this album is missing is like a Neil Young cover. And then, oh wait, there's Cinnamon Girl. There, there it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so random. Have you ever heard the original version of this? Never. But this was the song that was on your playlist that I mentioned nice. earlier. Um, first of all, I don't. I'd, I'd like to know. I'm, I'm gonna have to look up what the hell a Cinnamon Girl even is. But um, I didn't know Neil Young had a song called Cinnamon Girl. I've never heard it before. I can easily say that the typo negative version I've heard before the <laughs> original one. Um, uh, okay, so the song is about uh, the dream of meeting a girl of cinnamon colored hair. Uh, I guess I mean, that's who hasn't had that, effect, right? Huh? Yeah, listen, uh, it's it's. I, I I mean, obviously, if it worked for Neil Young in 1969, why not? I mean, when in Rome, th- this this was a really cool track. The way that starts with the drum intros actually reminds me of "Spreading the Disease" by Queensrÿche, which I thought was another parallel that I'm sure nobody has ever made, but I'll I'll do it. Uh, although the song itself obviously sounds nothing like it, but really cool riff. Really great bass lines, and it's easy to tell why they, you know, chose this as a cover. The vocals remind me of a mix between like Glenn Danzig and that guy Michael Paulson from um, Volbeat. Like I hear it loud and clear on this, and I just thought it was great. Just a groovy tune. Another song that could easily be the song of the week, but I obviously went in a different direction. Uh, thank you for mentioning Volbeat. That's what I was hearing. I was trying to figure out all week what the hell <laughs> the vocals on this song reminded me of. Certainly wasn't Neil Young. Uh, <laughs> but yes, that Volbeat makes complete sense. Um, cool song, though. Um, I, I feel like um, it, it also, I would venture to say it's the most upbeat sounding song on the album. Um, probably because someone else wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, uh, but kind of a cool tune. Um, this, I think, falls more under what I mentioned earlier, uh, what would be described as gothic pop. Yeah, I I think that that's fair. And obviously the cover didn't hurt. Um, And then we get into the real back end of this album. And and this is where you want to talk about a song title. Let me just get a sip of water before I even attempt to read this. I know. Eat your heart out, fallout boy. All right. Track 12, The Glorious Liberation of the People's Technocratic Republic of Vinland by the combined forces of the United Territories of Europa. All that for a track that's one minute and seven seconds long. Uh, Really just a little interlude done in the style of typo negative. Strong Devin Townsend vibes on this one as well. Really cool sound effects and stuff like that. But really it's just an intro to another track, which is called Wolf Moon. 
uh, including the zoothrapic paranoia. Easy for me to say. Why don't you talk about it? Because I'm trying to get my tongue off the floor. <laughs> I know you did so so well on that previous track, yeah, and then I you botched it. You let zo you, just, you let zoanthropic throw you off. I did. I did. I did. There, there's um a really like atmospheric kind of sound t- to this song. Um, it's almost um. The word is escaping me, um, but yeah, atmospheric, I think, is the best I'm going to do at this point, but um, I thought this was a, a cool song. It's probably one of the songs I liked the most on, on the second half of the album. Um, again, like it, it kind of goes back to that kind of sludgy, uh, like, doomy kind of sound, but um, I really like the uh, really like the chorus on this. I think it's really quite catchy Um, it's like slow and doomy but somehow melodic and what i like about it is that a lot of these songs are driven by the low end which is not surprising because of peter Steele's bass but the way that the bass and the keyboards marinate together it's almost a very nice marriage in many ways this was an underrated song for me i loved it i thought this was almost the song of the week by the end um just because even though i think the album has its problems, namely the next track. This this is a really good song. And honestly, I would have ended it here. If you would have given me 60 minutes of music and ended it with Wolf Moon, I would have been like, this album is great. But then they go into Haunted, which is the really the, I mean, it's the last full-length track. And it's just so long and so repetitive. And it just lacked the melody and the hooks that a lot of the other songs had. Also very, very atmospheric sounding, and that's usually something that I like. But for whatever reason, it just was a miss on this track. And I think, again, the fatigue had set in, and I just think the album would have been better without it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with any of that. Um, I think if if they were going to keep this song on the album, maybe putting it somewhere in the middle to break up the two halves or whatever might have been a better choice, but... um, I kind of, I'm kind of with you. Like it's, uh, I didn't think it was a bad song. I just thought maybe it was a little unnecessary. And the fact that it's so long, but it, it kind of drones, it's kind of a droning drone on, uh, kind of tune. Um, it's, it might be my least favorite song on the album. It is honestly. mine. No question about it. It's just, uh, it's just yeah. 10 minutes that you just went on too long. I thought, yeah, and another again. This is another song. Uh, it's a mystical song about Peter's love affair with the spirit of his girlfriend. Um, I guess uh, this description will be better than anything we have to say about it. The <laughs> slowness of the instrumentation with piano creates a haunting atmosphere, hence the title, as if the song itself was inhabited with the spirits from beyond. I guess that's a pretty decent way of um, of putting it, and an interesting little trivia. F- tidbit uh the soundtrack to the video game descent 2 includes an instrumental version of this song so there you go there you go um very interesting i i, I want to ask you because uh, like the album proper now ends with an eight second outro another spoken word track which kind of a, a, a very um light-hearted way to go out which i guess is is nice after after 70 minutes of this stuff um other than the way that the album ends, when you were done, did it grow on you during the week? I know you said the first listen was tough, but at what point did this kind of say, hey, you know what, I can kind of get, I can kind of dig this? 
probably a, around the fourth time I listened to it. I, it, it just, I think it kind of clicked where I heard a song and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that song I listened to earlier this week. I like this song. Like, because at first it was kind of, um, it was hard to kind of like separate song from song. Like it all kind of sounded like one long run on depression, musical depression. Like, <laughs> but um, the more I listened to it and the more I, you know, paid attention and, and kind of looked more into the lyrical themes and, and kind of figured, tried to find, figure out how, like where the band was coming from upon writing these songs. I think that it grew on me quite a bit and, and I'm really glad that you chose it. Cause it's something that I don't know I would have ever listened to otherwise. Um, but, uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. So good. I'm glad I, sometimes I try to force you to just hear things that you might not have heard for me. The album is probably like a 7.25, a little long, but definitely appreciate some of this stuff. It makes me want to check out, you know, other stuff by the band that I may not have heard. What are you going to give this on a scale of one to 10? Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.0. I, I thought it was really good. Like, um, nothing that really blew me out of the water, but I, other than that last tune that we talked about, like, I don't, there wasn't really anything that I, that I, I wouldn't even say I disliked that last song. It just was, uh, not my favorite. It was just a, a pretty above average journey from start to finish. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, again, I'm glad we got, got a chance to check it out because at least now I can, um, now I have a, a, a sound to go with the name. There you of, go. A name of a band that I've known for many years and, and have known them to be a, a influential and important band, but just never got a chance to listen to them or understand why. And now it's like, you know, we talked about uh, Voyager and Devin Townsend and, 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 uh, and Por- Porcupine Tree is all different types of bands that may or may not have but probably uh, were influenced by this band and particularly this album, I would, I would tend to think because if what I've read is true and that this is a little bit more of an outlier for the band um, and their other stuff is actually doomier and less melodic, uh, this actually makes sense for a Voyager or a Devin Townsend who tend to be on the melodic side that maybe they would have gravitated more towards a melodic uh, typo negative versus a do me typo negative. All of that. Very, very well said. Um, we've covered a lot of ground the last few weeks in terms of like new stuff. I'm, I'm curious to see what you're going to choose for next week, but before we do some news items and, and one of these that is his close to home, because I know you have plans for this, but Aerosmith has announced their farewell tour. It seems starting September 2nd in Philadelphia and going all the way through the new year. I think they finish up at the bell center in Montreal at the end of January. Um, I haven't seen Aerosmith in over, I think 25 years at this point, I know you have plans to go see this show. Um, were you able to get tickets or is that tomorrow? My plans were thwarted when I found out how much the tickets cost. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm not as of, as of now, I am not going, um, I'm sorry to hear because, that. because the decent tickets were in the three to $400 Ooh. range. Uh, and the cheapest nosebleeds were like 125. Yeah, um, I can. It's a hard pass. I. It's funny they're yeah. playing uh, UBS. The, or- pit, the pit tickets were 1300. dollars Oh, it's just insane. Uh, they, it's <laughs> funny because they're they're playing down the block from me at the UBS Arena 
on my birthday, but I'll be in Atlanta, so I will not be seeing right. the show. But they're playing in Buffalo in January, so there's like a lot of time for me to change my mind. And if the tickets don't end up on the secondary market and go for even more money than what they're already going for, it's something I may change my mind. My sister and her fiance uh, got tickets, so they'll be going. But um, there's not a lot of bands that I think I would shell out that kind of money for. And I, I didn't want to like go sit in a, in a crappy seat, like either, you know, see it, in a decent seat or don't go, you know, well, like one of those bands that you might do it for is sabotage who we've obviously talked about, but I don't know if you've heard this. Did you know that John Oliva was nearly going to sing for black Sabbath? Have you heard this story? Cause I will go into detail. This is nuts. Literally just uh, came across that today. As, well, as a matter of fact, for those that haven't heard, uh, he was interviewed by a Greek uh, magazine and Essentially, after Fight for the Rock, which in the interview he calls it Fight for the Nightmare. So right off the bat, John seems to be doing uh, well. But no, kidding aside, after Fight for the Rock, um, Black Sabbath had asked him to basically audition for the band. And they even sent him the set list so that he would know what to sing. And meanwhile, as that's happening... um, Chris Oliva was in talks with Dave Mustaine to join Megadeth. So both of the Oliva brothers were about to go in very different, albeit big directions. And then they kind of like were sitting across from each other and Oliva, John kicks Chris and was like, what the hell are we doing, man? We're not doing this. We're going to carry on with sabotage and carry on. They did um, at least until Chris's passing, you know, a number of years later. But can you imagine if uh, on the heels of Ozzy, and Ronnie James Dio, that John Oliva would have been the singer for Black Sabbath? I, You know, I don't think it would have sounded bad. I think it would have been pretty cool. I'm um, not arguing. I just never yeah. I never knew about this. And quite, and we know, uh, we know that Dave Mustaine always picks up the greatest guitar players in the world to join his band. So, um, Well, he would, he would take a future sabotage guitarist years later in Al Petrelli. That's so, right. You're good. It's a good um, point. Yeah. Uh, interesting that you mentioned that it was um, – after fight for the rock, because this is actually that period of time right before Paul O'Neill got, got his mitts on sabotage and kind of took the band into that new direction, that more um, almost Broadway metal style that uh, they kind of started that jump from fight for the rock to hall. The mountain King was such a, a huge improvement. Um, And that a lot of that is uh, Paul O'Neill's doing, um, I'm sure we'll probably talk, uh, I think, maybe in our 11th or 12th year of the Metal Exchange, we'll get, get to, to fight, fight for the, the rock. rock. It'll probably be our final Sabotage album that It'll we be the final covered. podcast. Um, um, yeah, we'll do Sabotage's new album that comes out next year, but way before we do Fight for the Rock, and it hasn't even been recorded unseen. yet. Um, yeah. And then one other one other little point I wanted to, to mention, just because I know people have been talking about it, Iron Maiden snubbed again for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know oh, people boy. are up in arms, but the um, fact of the matter is when Missy Misdemeanor Elliot gets in and Iron <laughs> Maiden doesn't, I've got nothing else to say. Some things just stand for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I could go on about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I think I I did already t- to you. Maybe, maybe we'll save it for a bonus episode, but uh, it's much like everything else. Uh, there's 
tons of politics involved and it's stupid and uh i don't know i lost interest in the in the rock and roll hall of fame once uh once rush pearl jam and green day all got in and by the way pearl jam and green day both got in the first year they were eligible and iron maiden has been eligible since 2005 so um, drop the mic my friend that's all you need to say and no disrespect because i think that green day and pearl jam are first ballot bands my only argument is so is Iron Maiden. Yeah, there's a metal bias with some of these people that are. But Priest got in. Yeah, and again, I and I think I've mentioned this in the past, but from what I understand, and I think this was um, an interview that um, somebody from Metallica, I believe, uh, did. It's that the more bands like Judas Priest and Metallica and Kiss. Uh, get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the more influence those guys have and who goes in in the future. So the more, I think, over time, when we get some of the old guard out that are snobs and, and you know, supposedly didn't ever want to see Kiss get in, which is insane, that Kiss wouldn't be in in any Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, never mind the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I have zero doubt Iron Maiden will go in at some point, but it is ridiculous that they haven't, but at the same time, like I'm not really upset about it because nothing about it is surprising to me whatsoever. Well said, well said. And I guess that brings us to next week. I feel like it's been some time since you've uh, selected an album. So I'm eagerly awaiting your pick for next week. What am I listening to? Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, because the Hellstar album was really kind of a, it's like a, like a pseudo request in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it has. It's been about six weeks since I <laughs> I picked an album. Um, I had a number of things uh, running through my head, um, but I want to uh, give a shout out to our uh, mutual friend Nick, who kind of sealed the deal for me with some texts that we received from him last night talking about Halloween. Uh, we are going to be seeing them with Nick uh, in a couple of weeks, and um, I thought. You know, it's been a while since we discussed a Halloween album. We've discussed a Halloween tribute album more recently. But uh, then the question was, well, which album? And uh, the album I landed on was Pink Bubbles Go Ape. Wow. So, <laughs> so, uh, I thought you were going to yeah. say Chameleon. So in a sense, I'm actually, um, I don't know, I don't want to say more surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm more surprised, but arguably happier. So uh, yeah, it's good. Chameleon is... Uh, Chameleon's coming. Uh, I, I, at one point, I did consider um, doing both, but I, I think that they deserve their own Stand episode. Alone. Yeah, because um, I have a lot of thoughts on both, uh, and I don't want to belabor it into one episode. So we'll we'll circle back. I, I, my goal is to eventually have covered the entire Halloween discography. Although they're releasing albums faster than we're releasing episodes about Halloween. So, um, but. Uh, I think that this just it has a lot of interesting talking points as far as um, where the band was, uh, the, the who was in the band, who had just left the band, who wrote which songs. Um, because this is, you know, it's funny. I think when I first got, when we both first started getting into Halloween, like these were these two albums were derided because they represented the kind of where Halloween went off the rails so to speak. But I think that over time, the diehard fans have kind of softened 
their stance, at least on pink bubbles. Chameleon, I think, is a little bit more of a of a reach for some diehard metal fans. I happen to love it, but it is such an out there album. One of the most, the most disjointed Halloween album of all time. Without um, question. Yeah. It's not really even close. Um, but uh, I thought that, you know, this album had a lot of good stuff going on. Um, I think that the weird album art and the title of the album and the fact that it was released in the United States, there was a and lot of things that, that I think were working against. the fact that it was coming after The Keepers. Like, yeah, it was a victim of, it was a victim of fate in many ways. It was just yeah. its own fate. But yeah, yeah good choice. So, I, I look forward to this. Um, it'll serve as a nice little, uh, not a primer, but it'll kind of wet the whistle for Halloween. It's a primer for the 11 songs that we will not hear them play <laughs> when we see them, as much as I would love for them to bust out uh, the chance. Uh, I don't think I don't that's think going that, to happen. I think we'd have yeah. to go see Master Plan for that. But uh, good choice. That's Look true. forward to it. Um, for everyone out there that's listening, we thank you. Please give us a like and a follow. Tell your friends about us. Uh, and consider joining us on Patreon because it really does help support the show in many, many ways. Um, but at a minimum, a like and a follow goes a long way to helping others find the show. So uh, with that said, I'm going to go look at that weird cover art. I'm probably going to go listen to Cinnamon Girl <laughs> if I'm not lying by, by Neil Young. And um, I'm going to go kiss a rough. <laughs> uh, enjoy the week, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Yeah. Um, also, r- real quick um, – as far as the uh, Patreon goes, uh, we have a little bonus episode planned. Uh, 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 you know, we were talking about um, sabotage earlier, and uh, we're going to do a little bonus episode where we both construct our uh, dream set list um, uh, for the sabotage reunion that's supposed to happen next year. Uh, the only limit is that it needs to be under. 120 minutes and it has to be sabotage songs. <laughs> I think we can uh, I think I can fill that up very fast. The question is how do I do it and in or and in what order? But that being said, I think it will make for a very interesting conversation. So that'll be out before the end of the month. Yep, I, I look forward to that. Uh, the, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to try to um to do a bit more of as for our uh, for our patrons and uh for, as bonus content and uh so yeah, that's another. Uh, I get to talk about two of my favorite bands in the same month. So uh, nothing wrong with that. Well, enjoy, my friend. I will look forward to uh, catching up with you soon, and we'll talk about some Pink Bubbles. Go ape! I knew it was only a matter of time. I I feel like we have to use that Pink Bubbles Go Ape intro to uh, intro the episode, but you'll have to stay tuned next week and find out. Take it easy, my friend. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Oh, yeah.